Well, morning, New Life. Uh, my name is Andrew, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, you are my first live studio audience in like a year and a half. Wow. It's great. I'm just going to soak it in a little bit. Um, it was uh, a number of years ago, uh, Jen and I decided that we needed to replace some carpet in our basement. It was old, and it was grimy, and uh, so we went through the process of, of buying new carpet, which involves about 18,000 carpet samples and a really difficult decision. And so we, we hired this company, placed the order, and we waited weeks, weeks of uh, our children asking every few hours if it was the time for the new carpet, uh, as it goes. Uh, and then we were excited when the day arrived for the installer. And so he comes, and, and pretty much from the moment uh, he showed up, uh, I could tell that he did not want to be installing carpet on that Friday. Uh, his, he was grumpy, he was angry, he grumbled, he cursed. He was just generally un, unpleasant to have in the house. You know, he didn't like his boss, didn't like the product we chose, didn't like our house, you know, all of these sort of things, the corners. Uh, and uh, he was just a grumpy, grumpy guy. Uh, and sure enough, he left, even without really talking to us at all. And we went down to examine our brand new carpet, and, uh, and it, was, it, was, it was terrible, uh, there were cuts that didn't make it all the way to the wall, and there were tack strips that were exposed, and some of the seams were already opening up, and it was just, uh, it was a, a terrible job. And so we called the company, and they came and sent someone, and sure enough, they paid to have it all removed, and we asked specifically for perhaps a different installer. Uh, and then, again, the process of waiting and telling our kids that we needed to wait, uh, and, and then the second installer came, and he, he, he was a completely different guy. He, he, he walked in, and you could tell that he enjoyed his job. He enjoyed what he was doing, and he, he hummed and sang to himself as he installed. And he was re really proud to show us when he was done, all, you know, all the details in the carpet. And, and so it was great. It was a terrific experience with this guy, and, and we had this amazing new play space for the kids. Um, and, and as I think about that first installer, and I remember him, and I'm sure you know people like him in your life, uh, I would be shocked to find out if he was a Christian. I'd be shocked. It would, it, would, it would be a shocking revelation. But why is that? What does his grumpiness in his attitude at his job have to do at all with some spiritual decision that he might or might not have made? Or, or what he does on a Sunday morning? What, what do those two things have in common? And, and I think as, as we've been reflecting here in 1 Peter over the last number of weeks... The theme that Ken keeps bringing up is that of lordship. That when we come to Christ, when we accept this saving work, the blood of Jesus in our life, that it needs to make an impact in our life and what we do. That we follow Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord. And that should have an impact on our work life. As North American Christians, we do struggle a little bit with the separation of the sacred and the secular. The sacred is here, right? It's when we gather at church and we worship and we sing and we pray. There's this, this sacred element of our lives. And, and, and there's this sort of split, it seems like sometimes, where there's, well, there's the church part of me. And then there's everything else. There's, there's me at work and there's me at play and there's me with my stuff. And we've sort of separated this, the, the spiritual and the secular. But that's not a biblical thing to do. And in fact, this lordship of Jesus, if truly we are saved, it needs to change our identity. It changes our view of ourselves. And it needs to change the way that we carry ourselves even in the workplace. And so we're going to see that today in First Peter as we continue on in this letter. 
Uh, so, so we've talked about that, that if Jesus truly has saved us, then Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, then we need to actually follow. So we're going to pick that up today in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Uh, it should be on the screen behind me. Yeah, uh, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Uh, this is the ESV. It, it, it sort of starts with the word servants. Other translations will say slaves. And actually, the word slaves might be more accurate to the original meaning. Uh, slavery in this day, 2,000 years ago in ancient Rome, was very different than what we think of slavery of 200 years ago to our southern neighbors. Uh, racism, or sorry, slavery in the States was, it was racist and it was captivity. Uh, that's the slavery we think of. But slavery in this day, and this word servants here as well, it's more like an indentured servitude where uh, they didn't have banks to provide loans. And so if I was in financial hardship or owed money, then I would sell myself into slavery to someone until I could pay off my debt. Or I'd sell my family into slavery to pay off a family debt, it, akin to taking a mortgage. If you have a mortgage, sometimes you understand what slavery feels like. Um, and and so, so it's this kind of slavery that he's talking about. It wasn't a racial thing. It wasn't a lifelong thing. And, and even slaves in this day weren't necessarily the lowest class. You could be a higher class slave if you were, had a higher class master. And so it was a very different economic system. And as we look at, well, what does this mean for us who don't live in this system? And I think what Peter is really trying to communicate, and Paul says the exact same thing in Ephesians as well, slaves submit to your masters, is about those who are in employment. Be respectful and submit, subject yourselves to your employers. And, and Peter says you're not just a good boss, but also a bad boss. This is where it gets real. Uh, he says, what, what benefit is it? He says here, what benefit is it of being a great employee? What kind of a witness is that? If we're taking our, our faith and, and following Jesus in the workplace, what benefit is it if we, if we love and respect uh, a good boss? It's, it's not all that difficult or different to do. But to do it to a bad boss, that actually communicates something different about our faith. Uh, verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Um, Peter's talking about suffering. And he said there's a difference for suffering for doing something stupid and versus suffering for doing something good. Uh, and so he's talking about the righteousness of suffering for doing good versus the suffering for perhaps... Uh, being foolish or ignorant or intolerant. There's a difference in those things. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Remember that we follow a crucified Lord. We, we sometimes think that, that, that we are due a certain amount of respect a certain amount of honor, but we remember that as we follow Jesus, we follow a Jesus who did not demand the penthouse, the limo, and, you know, the red carpet and room service. But Jesus instead entered into, into poverty, into scandal, into injustice. That Jesus chose that. And that's the Lord that we follow. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We see a picture of Jesus who took our sins, who suffered for us, who though he was God himself, did not fight for his own rights. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And so there's this expectation that Jesus has taken the penalty, that Jesus has taken the weight of all that for us so that we can live in righteousness. Not just so that we can have a ticket to go to heaven someday. It's not this separation of Jesus saved me so that I get to go to heaven when I die. And in the meantime, my life is mine. But there's an expectation that we live for righteousness, not just here on a Sunday where we put on our nice shirts and we act nice with our family, but when we go to work tomorrow, there's an expectation of righteousness in our lives. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I think one of the big things that Peter keeps talking about here in this text is this word meekness. Uh, Meekness is not weakness. They're two different things. Uh, Meekness is power under control. It's this sort of gentleness. Um, My son Hudson, who's over here, not paying attention to me, but coloring. Yes, Hudson uh, likes to wrestle. And so we go down into the basement. He's five, and uh, he likes to wrestle. Now, Now, I... I know this is a limited window, but I have the ability to simply just drop him on the ground and sit on him, and we call it a day, right? Like, I have the ability to do that. I know that I won't always, but I could. But instead, he won't enjoy wrestling a whole lot if that's what it looks like. But, um, but instead, I choose to allow him and his tiny, yet extremely muscular little arms, right, to throw them around my neck and for him to throw me to the ground. And then he sort of sits on me and pins me down, and he starts to celebrate and gloat over me. I allow that to happen and enjoy it and giggle along with him. There's this picture of meekness there. And I think it's the same thing when when we realize that there are certain rights that we might believe that we're entitled to. Perhaps a promotion. Maybe we think we're better than other people at our job and we should receive the honor and the credit and the due. But others get it. And so there's two choices of attitude that we have. We can get resentful or we can fight to grasp at that which we think we're owed as employees. Or instead in meekness, we can allow others to go ahead. It's like racing my kids as well. I could beat them for the most part, although it's, it's, getting, it's getting a little touch and go. But, but instead, I choose to allow them to go ahead. And we see this word in the Bible. In fact, Jesus himself is the picture of meekness. Here we see in Philippians, really famously, he, that's Jesus, though he was in the form of God, meaning that he was God himself, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't, Jesus didn't come down and put on flesh as God of the universe and feel this need to grasp at the honor and the glory and the majesty that he was due, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here we have the ultimate and truest picture of meekness, where Jesus surrenders his right, surrenders his glory temporarily, so that he can serve us. It's this picture of meekness. Uh, We also see it, don't put it on the screen yet, but we also see Jesus command it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the meek for, pop quiz, for they... Ooh, well done. Yes, for they will inherit the earth. Also, 
Kids, uh, a little lesson in meekness for you. If you're in school and you know the answer to every question, meekness would be not having to answer right away, but allowing others who are perhaps a little slower to answer first and then getting some credit. Another example of meekness. And the irony is, right, the meek even aren't those who grasp at everything in the earth, but the meek are those who sit back and surrender and allow others to rush ahead. It's the meek who will, in fact, inherit the earth. So, Peter's talking about meekness, and he's also talking about employees, those who are working. And so, what does this have to tell us about work? Why do we work? Why do you go to work? I think about uh, the man, the first installer who showed up, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he had this bumper sticker, if we can pull it up, this bumper sticker on the back of his truck. I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. Right? How many people do we know, and if we confess at times on a Monday, this is what we drive to work for, right? I just need to go to work because I owe money and I've got to pay the bills. And, and this is our attitude of I just, I just need to go to work because this is what I have to do so that I can do the things that I want to do. But if truly we see the, the lordship of Jesus in our lives, and we see that God has given us each unique gifts and talents, that he's created us uniquely and given us gifts and also given us time and opportunity, that it changes the way that we view our work so that actually our work becomes an opportunity, becomes a mission. It becomes this, this thing that God has placed us in in order to be his ambassadors. And, 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 and our work becomes this missions field where our attitude speaks of our faith, of the difference that Jesus makes in our lives, our talents and our opportunities that he's given to us. And so there's something about our attitude in our work that's not just about, I just need to, to put in the minimum amount of effort so that I can get my paycheck. But there's this opportunity for us in our workplaces, wherever those might be, whether we're swinging a hammer or we're crunching numbers or we're nursing people back to health, whatever that might be, an opportunity to bear witness to our faith because our faith is not just about here, but in everything that we do. And there's also, I think, an importance that Matt talked about. Matt talked about this specifically, that, that there's an expectation that God places on us to do things with excellence. That if God has placed you in that shop or in that company for a reason, then I think there's an expectation that we do all things, as it says in Colossians 3, all things for excellence, with excellence. Martin Luther once said that a Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on his shoes, but by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. And so there's this expectation and this opportunity on us of doing things with excellence because it gives glory and honor to God, our creator, who is excellent. So both the quality of our work and our attitude at work bear witness to the goodness of God in our lives. For those of you who are retired and might feel like you're off the hook, doesn't apply to me, um, I would say that we have a responsibility to each other. That we are not just a collection of individuals who gather together in different seats on a Sunday, but that we have a responsibility and you have an opportunity in your time to encourage and support those who are working in missions fields all around this valley. Particularly those of you who are, you know, to people who are in the same field as you. 
that you've come out of. You understand the place that they're in. And there's this responsibility to encourage and, and support because hopefully you also remember what it was like to have young kids or teenagers and, and to come alongside those who are still in the workforce. I came across a story this week of a retired man who lived next to a, a big mall renovation. And every day, every day he would go outside and he would watch a, a one particular heavy equipment operator who was just meticulous in his work. And he just enjoyed this man's skill at his machine. Uh, and finally the day came when this man was finally able to tell the operator how much he'd enjoyed watching his scrupulous work. Looking astonished, the operator replied, so you're not the supervisor? <laughs> um, but we have an opportunity to observe and encourage each other. And perhaps provide babysitting so that families with young kids can go on dates and things. You have that opportunity. We have that opportunity for each other's support as we engage in the workplace. And so this lordship of God over our lives and in our workplaces, there's this responsibility, I believe, that we do things with excellence, even if no one is looking. Do things with excellence as an act of worship. We see as well that we're called to do all things with joy. Rejoice, I say it again, always rejoice. That there's something about joy, especially with your coworkers in a busy, hectic, brutal season to have joy that bears witness to the fact that there's something different about us and the hope that we have in Christ. There are those, those tangible moments that we all know at work when it's just miserable. And if we can choose joy in that moment when no one else is joyful, then it speaks that there's something different that our hope rests in beyond this momentary work. And also in the meekness of not having to chase and grasp after everything that we think we're owed, but allowing others to perhaps progress, to, to, be, to be peaceful in our work, to, to, to suffer quietly perhaps, and also to choose to show respect. Even if perhaps we think our boss is not worthy of respect, to choose to show respect and honor as an act of worship to God. So practically, some very practical things for tomorrow. As we look at doing our work, whatever it might be, as an act of worship. I would encourage you, as you think about tomorrow, show up early. Show up early as an act, not just of, <laughs> I'm getting paid to be here, but as an act of worship. Show up early. Have a positive attitude, even if you don't like the task. Choose. A positive attitude. Again, not because it's going to get you a promotion or because someone is watching, but choose as an act of worship and witness to have a positive attitude. Choose to do things with excellence. To go above and beyond, even if it's not required. Do things with excellence. Spend extra time cleaning up when the job is done. Do it with excellence. Be on the lookout tomorrow for ways to improve results and not just conditions. We often, I think at work, we, we, we tend to try and pursue, you know, improve my conditions or the, the situation I work within my own little bubble. Instead, look to improve the results. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, is take ownership 
I think so often we go, this is my lane and these are my responsibilities and that is not my responsibility. And I think what an act of worship and witness it is when we take responsibility for things outside of our purview, for those details that get missed and take responsibility, take ownership for those things. And what an act of worship and for those bosses in the room, I'm guessing we would get an amen on some of these points. An act of worship. So that tomorrow through meekness, joy, and excellence, our work tomorrow becomes as much, if not more, of an act of worship than the songs we're about to sing right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your meekness, that you chose uh, to enter into humility and sacrifice in order to love us well. And, and God, in, in that lordship, help us to follow you, not just on Sundays, not just in the quietness of, of perhaps our Bible reading times, but at our, our workplaces. God, help us to do things with excellence because you are a God who is excellent. Help us to do things with joy because our hope is rooted in you and we have joy. And help us to do it with meekness, following your humble nature, as an act of worship, God. And may our, our, our work be a witness to the transforming work that you've done in our lives as we look at our workplaces as missions fields. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.